0: Welcome to the Pipe Cottage Podcast. We're glad you stopped by. Now grab a pipe, fire up a bowl, and enjoy the conversation. Here's your host, Dr. Alan Harrelson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pipe Cottage. This is Alan Harrelson. I haven't done a podcast-specific uh, recording in quite some time, but I wanted to do that now. Uh, I don't like doing these one-hour and two-hour-long podcasts. I just like talking about what's on my mind, and when we're done with that, we're done. But I want to talk today about uh, why you should care about history. Why you should care about it. A lot of people don't. And it's especially evident in American society in the 21st century. We live in a completely futuristic society uh, there's very little historical recognition, historical consciousness in the United States now. It's not the same in every part of the world. Now, uh, I ha- have received a great deal of criticism, b- uh, by not staying pipe centric on my, uh, YouTube channel, on the podcast or whatever. Well, I don't care about that anymore. I'm going to talk about the things that matter to me because, uh, I have... So many concerns, and 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 folks, if you have an opinion about something, we live in a country where you have the right to express that opinion. And we when we get to the point where we are scared out of uh, intimidation not to express what we think to be true, then uh, then we're in a world of hurt. And so many of you know, I am a historian uh, by profession. And so I want to talk to you about why you should care about history. And uh, history and pipe smoking kind of goes hand in hand. I I know very, very few people uh, who smoke pipes who do not have an appreciation for history. So I hope that you are firing up a bowl and you're in a position where you can enjoy your pipe for the next few minutes and just listen to what I have to tell you. Let's just talk as if we were... Uh, as if you were here in my home, and we were able to enjoy a bowl together around a campfire or around a good supper table, let's just talk a little bit. So, there's this problem uh, among a lot of people, younger people now, who think that everything that matters begins that the day the day they're born. Presentism. Um, and we have, and, and what this the, the danger of this is, is that. People who have a presentist mindset think that we are able to interpret what truth is with every new generation. We're able to reinterpret it. Uh, We can say what it matters to us, and that's a pragmatic worldview. There's only really one philosophy and the world of philosophy, there's only one philosophy that originates in American society, and that comes from the pen of William James and, and, and several others at the end of the 19th century, people who say that whatever's best for my situation, that's the truth that I follow, whatever's best for my situation, regardless as to whether it's good for another person's situation, that's the truth that I follow. Well, that's one problem with having uh, a life that does not recognize the importance of history. You think that you know enough in the wisdom of one lifetime in one generation to decide what truth means. I I can think of nothing more stupid than that. You have to rely upon the experience of previous generations because the book of Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. GK Chesterton said that there are no new ideas, simply old mistakes. So <laughs> that's 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 some pretty deep stuff when you start thinking about it. Uh so history teaches us the long view, as the Southern writer Andrew Lytle once said. It teaches us the long view. Uh we don't have enough of experience as is I'm in my thirties. I do not have enough of life experience. To, to say that I am wise in all things, that I know the truth of the matter in all things. I have to learn from other people. The first thing I learn from is the teachings of Christ, uh, the eternally begotten Son of God the Father. And I learn from the apostles and the disciples of Christ. I learn from the Old Testament and the Judeo-Christian tradition. And so tradition is extremely important. Why? Because it teaches us how to live a proper life in ways that we would never know or understand otherwise. That's why it's important to read, to read people who have come before you. And so, um, uh, there is, do you know how much change, I think it was, uh, I think it was also Andrew Lytle. No, 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 no. It was the Southern writer, Emmy Bradford. Emmy Bradford. He was from Oklahoma originally. Um, He was uh, actually chosen by Ronald Reagan to be the director of the National Endowment for the Humanities in the 1980s. But um, Bradford was not uh, allowed to, to receive that nomination because he was in favor of the Southern position during the 1860s. Bradford understood that the South was immensely uh, uh, critis- cr- critical, critical of centralized government, centralized power, having too much power in the federal government rather than in the local and state governments. And so, Bradford did not receive that uh, that job. But he was one of the most important writers of of American uh, society in the 20th century, and so. I I think that he wrote an introduction to a book of essays that Andrew Lytle from Tennessee uh, uh wrote over the course of his lifetime and these are all folks known as Southern Agrarians uh, they were uh, we will we'll talk about that at some other time the point is uh M. E. Bradford said that uh, anybody born at the beginning of the 20th century and lived to the end of the 20th century such as Andrew Lytle was and now you can fill in that name with lots of people probably that you know in your own life. you your grandfather, your great-grandfather, and some of you, even your parents, and some of you, you yourself. You are born in the first half of the 20th century, and you live to witness the second half of the of the 20th century, and even the 21st century. And what Bradford said is that the, that generation of people, whether it's in Europe, America, wherever, witnessed more change than any single generation of humanity over the last 1,000 to 1,500 years. Just think about that. It's only been within the past 100 to 150 years of human history where truth with a capital T has been challenged with an immense power. An immense power. Now, my worldview is biblical, and that tells me that this is a an old story of good versus evil. But you don't know that if you don't study history. You have no con- concept of this. And so, if if you study even even the history of Christianity, and I've already made it known on my YouTube channel that I am inches away from Catholicism, and more than likely I am going to con- convert to the Catholic Church. Why is that something that is on my mind? Because I know history. Now, I'm not ready to talk about that because I've not made the decision 100%. Uh, to, to... I've made some decisions, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. What I want to u- say, however, is I want to use this example of the Catholic Church in relation to the larger spectrum of Christian history. Why is it, why is it that Protestant churches want us to think that the history of Christianity is Jesus then Luther, Jesus then John Calvin? Is there somehow a gap of 1,500 years where nothing matters? So everything that matters about the history of the Christian church begins with the life of Martin Luther and John Calvin and the 16th century reformers. What I've learned is that is a dangerous way of looking at the past. You can't decide. What No single pastor, no single Christian has the life experience to decide in and of themselves where the, the, the history of the church uh, is more important after the ascension of Christ. And so I tell you what, I tell you what, I have... I have been shocked. I have been, well, initially shocked, but now pleasantly surprised at the wonderful, wonderful people who were following Christ before the Protestant Reformation. It's not Jesus, then then, then Martin Luther. And so that's just one of many, many examples. Uh, let's think about the history of our own country, our own country, which is very young. Uh, we do not have the right to say in this country... As a single generation, the generation living now, that we know exactly what the founding generation meant when they drafted the Constitution in 1787. We don't have enough of knowledge to do that. We have to look to the past. We have to look to the tradition of American constitutional law and the tradition of, uh, of American scholarship. Socialism, communism has never worked It's never worked. Why did the founders uh, want a constitutional republic? What were the examples that they looked at to form a constitutional republic? Well, they certainly didn't uh, 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 look to uh, the, the Holy Roman Empire. They looked to ancient Greece and the Roman Republic as the examples that they wanted to set before them. And they looked at English constitutional monarchy. I remember years ago, I was in uh, Lee Chapel on the campus of Washington and Lee University. And at that time, you could still visit the chapel and see Confederate battle flags all around the, uh, 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 the I don't know why, the word's escaping me now, the, the tomb, the, 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 the statue of General Lee um, in state. Uh, at, at the front of the chapel, there were Confederate battle flags all around, and but on the left hand side of the chapel, as you uh, as you walk in, is a portrait of of George Washington, and he was dressed in British regalia, and he he looked like a British officer, and the gentleman from South Carolina, good friend of mine, who I was visiting the chapel with. He said, why is he dressed in British regalia? Why is he not wearing an American Patriot Continental Army uh, uh, uniform in this, in this uh, photograph, in this painting? I said, well, because most American patriots, before they were pushed to the, to the brink of seceding from the British Empire, they identified as Englishmen, and they were trying to preserve their rights as Englishmen. And uh, I, I think that's something to bear in mind because what I like to teach my students many times, my history students, is that there are two fundamental interpretations among American historians of the revolutionary period. One side of the equation says that the revolution was an attempt to create something entirely new, a radical transformation, a radical a new thing on the North American continent. And then you have a different side of the equation that says, no, uh, the American Revolution was an attempt to sever the arm of tyranny from the larger body of liberty, uh, a a tradition of liberty that had been received uh, from English constitutional monarchy in the tradition of Magna Carta and uh, the glorious revolution of the 1680s. So you cannot, you cannot possibly understand the history of the American Constitution, the history of American law, the history of how American society is supposed to function and was intended to function, unless you go way back before 1787 and you understand precisely for yourself, uh, through historical study, the examples that the founding generation had before them. And... Uh, But we don't think about this. Americans don't think like this anymore. Uh, We have more materialism and consumerism now than we've ever had in the past. I mean, the same thing goes with the pipe hobby. We can even use the pipe hobby as an example of this. There are more pipes and varieties of pipes and varieties of pipe tobacco in the world now than there probably has ever been. And so you go to these pipe shows and you've got table after table after table of people selling you beautiful pieces of art. They are absolutely beautiful pieces of art. And then you've got the full gamut of different tobacco blends that you can try. And people create YouTube channels and podcasts talking for hours about what this blend tastes like, what kind of... uh, Whiskey or scotch, uh, uh, you can compare this blend to and and, share, and, and, and uh, pair it with. It's just big. It's just so huge. But back in the day, probably in my grandfather's generation, you know, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, most people who smoked a pipe could not afford a collection of 150, 200 pipes. And they certainly could not afford... To have a cellar full of premium pipe tobacco. They had probably one or two dot gray bows, a corn cob or such, and they bought what we now call codger blends at the local store. They didn't have any sort of thing as online purchases where you can buy blends from all around the world and have it delivered to your doorstep. We have been ruined. We have been absolutely spoiled, and I am just as guilty of that as anybody else because I enjoy buying pipes and I enjoy buying tobacco. But this industry was not built upon the foundation of a currently living generation. It was built upon the foundation of people who came before us, who uh, learned the art of pipe smoking and appreciated it and taught us the importance of it and how it's a consolation. And so... I, I just I just have no tolerance for any hobby, any type of uh, vocation or lifestyle that thinks that all that matters, all that is currently important, begins now. It doesn't. It doesn't. We have to have a respect and a proper admiration for the generations that come before us, and the best way you can do that is to read history. And some history you can't read. It's oral tradition that's handed down from one generation to the next. Uh, there's some things that were never written down, and you wouldn't know about it if if you did not have an oral tradition. That's why I think music is also important. Uh, Music, if you go back and read, read the old lyrics of British border country balladry and the old, like where we are in the mountains of Kentucky and Appalachia, go back to the old, old songs. Uh, in the old, old gospel songs of years ago—I'm talking two, three hundred years ago, even a hundred years ago—you you can find such a treasure house of world view. You, you can understand how people thought, how they identified themselves with, with with Christianity and with their country and the type of patriotism they had, and so. I I don't understand. I do not understand how anybody can live a life that is based upon the present and what I can get tomorrow, what I'm going to get tomorrow. Even Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow. The problems of today are sufficient in and of themselves. And uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, most of the books of the Old Testament are written after the fact. They are written as history books to remind the people, God's people, the Jews at the time, to remind them of the places God has brought them from. God requires an account of the past. Now, that's somewhere in Scripture. Don't ask me exactly where. (laughs) It just popped into my head as a quote that really came to mind. But, folks, I think we would be better off, and we're about to reach a point in this country where... There's going to be, I've gone on record as saying in the past that there's a division in the United States now between rural and urban. I got a lot of criticism for that, but I also got a lot of people who understood what I was talking about. There is a division between rural and urban. But what does that mean? Well, on one level, I think it really does mean that most people who live in the countryside, who farm for a living, who ranch for a living, who live a life out out of doors for the most part, they, they make, they're make living out of doors. These people understand the past on the whole, in the general sense, more than somebody who's living in a city all the time and it is never exposed to the natural world. Because when you go out into the natural world, you have a respect for the people who uh, owned that particular farm 100 years ago, people who planted those trees, somebody who planted that, that apple orchard. I mean, I was riding through... Um, North Georgia after the Smitty's Pipe Show, and they had so many beautiful apple orchards around there. And and I was in the, in some of the farms, they had historical markers out in front of the farmhouse. So this is a century farm. This farm has been in the same family for a hundred years. It's a century farm. And in some states around the country, you are recognized and honored as being a family that's lived on the farm for a long period of time. And I just wonder how many tourists who are moving down that North Georgia highway and stop to buy apples and apple fritters at the farm store they have, do they really appreciate the history of the place they're walking on to? Do they have a a sufficient understanding and respect for the family that has maintained that land and and has decided to open up their home and their business uh, to provide a product to, to, to other people? I wish I saw more of that in the pipe smoking world. I really do. It would be so wonderful um, if if people would just capitalize on tradition. It's not that you're... Maybe that's not the right word. You don't capitalize on it. You don't, it's not there to make money off of. But you help people understand that there is a tradition behind pipe smoking. There is a legacy that uh, that that needs to be uh, uh, put forward, that needs to be continued to the next generation. Uh, a legacy not simply of pipes and tobacco, but a legacy of the people who had some problems in their life, solved those problems... And the wisdom of how they solved those problems is now carried forward to us through the historical record. And some of those people may have solved those problems over a bowl of pipe tobacco. I mean, I think of uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, who I'm sure wrote Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings while smoking a pipe. And these people matter not because they smoked a pipe, but because they were true artists and they were able to express Truth with a capital T in a way that continues to make sense generations after they're gone. And so I, I, for the life of me, I cannot understand why people do not simply read history. We live in a society where everybody's got to be seen busy doing something else. They go to, people go to coffee shops and they, they pop open their laptop or their phone and they, have to be, they want other people to see how busy and important they are. I don't get it. I don't go to coffee shops. I don't, I don't. If I want coffee, I'll make it here at the house, and I'll go to the porch, light up a pipe, and I'll read a book. I don't. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody around. I don't even want my own children interrupting me during that time. I want silence. I want solitude. I want to think. I want to pray. I want to contemplate. My granddaddy's generation, my great-granddaddy's generation, the people who founded this country, when I sit down to a pipe, I cannot, for the life of me, focus on present issues. I don't do it. I don't think about current politics. I don't think about uh, every pastor and church around me that's got a different idea of what Christianity means and every church thinks they're the only ones going to go to heaven. I just, do, but, but I don't think about current issues and debates. I think about history. Not only the history of my country, but the not only the history of my family, but, but the history of the message of the gospel and just how good God is, just how wonderful God is. I can't look at an oak tree on my place without recognizing how wonderful God is. God is. Anyway, I've already talked too long. Folks, pay attention to history. Don't worry about what the talking heads on the news stations are saying about presidential elections and all the problems that are going on in the world. There is a vast storehouse of human wisdom that God has given us in the historical record and in the biblical text. Take some time during your pipe smoking sessions to simply read and think. Put the phone down. Put the computer down. Simply read and think. And if you're a believer, take that time to do some praying. Anyway, I got to go. This is Alan Harrelson with the Pipe Cottage. Thank you all for stopping by. Thank you for listening to the Pipe Cottage Podcast with Dr. Alan Harrelson. We look forward to visiting with you on our next episode.